Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the program. My special guest is poet Leslie Trainer. She's the author of the chapbook, Fawn, and co-editor of the book, Daughters, Wives, Resilient Lives, Poets at the Long Table. Welcome, Leslie, to the program. Oh, I'm so glad to be here, Michael. Thank you. Yes, fantastic. Let's begin our poetic journey, all right? Absolutely. All right. Leslie, what is poetry? Oh, Poetry is communicating um, emotion, um, truth. Um, it's also perhaps interpreting events and emotions for people and myself. Wow, very nice. Share that again a little bit louder, Leslie. Share that again. I want to hear it. Oh, I want to. I want to soak it in. Yes. Right. Right. Poetry to me is about sharing emotions. It's mm-hmm. also about perhaps interpreting emotions for people, interpreting events, making sense of the world for myself and others. Wow. Making sense of the world. That is so hard sometimes, Leslie. That is so hard sometimes. That's mm-hmm. so hard, making sense of the world. So with that in mind... Why is poetry important? Ah, I think it's we can find the words that sometimes other people can't. Mm. And it's opening up their emotions as well when they read them. Um, Certainly when I have been reading at events, I get people crying or laughing. um, But Mm -hmm. it often causes discussion which I and I think that is a really really strong aspect of poetry it's getting people talking you know well you're a person after my own heart because I believe the same thing it is so important to get people talking so what let's begin with you sharing a poem please share a poem with us okay this poem um was I was Asked to write this, I was one of a hundred women in Britain asked to celebrate uh, female suffrage, um, and it's called I Am Not Superwoman. Single mother, classed as trash, written off by the government, went back to work when babies only 12 weeks old, but still not superwoman. Just a single mum. Drove children to clubs, fixed broken boilers, leaking gutters, picked up children, not the school run. Read Harry Potter with my children, studied the Reader's Digest manual, wrote a novel like another single mum. I wasn't superwoman. 
just a single mum. My father walked 10 miles every day themselves. Motor neuron disease. No, superwoman couldn't cure that. Then this woman fell. Fell down through ladders that skimmed the high cornice. Concrete absorbed consciousness. Absorbed the power to walk and speak. A cruel mimic of what had killed her father. But this was no disease. Superwoman felled. Pace of life slowed to a shuffle. Communication faltered. A challenge to follow a thought. Form words that forbade pity. Life is short became the new mantra. Within a locked world, I walked a past life. Ethiopia found a path through that worn, torn country. One trod without fear. I survived. I taught myself to walk, to talk. Creativity flowed. The written word, art, film, publications, exhibitions, commissions. No barriers. How many other women fought the gatekeepers? 2016, Edinburgh Fringe called for women to read their work on the street, speak their truth, their way. No censorship, no self-censorship, no barriers. Women with fierce words, a sisterhood of writers. Their fierce words, one that empowered a signpost for others to find their fierce word, their voice, all superwoman. End of poem. Wow. Oh, oh, that was incredible. Thank you. We are all superwomen. We are all superwomen. And there was one yeah. other line. There were so many lines. Was it? And I'm, 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 oh God, I'm stunned. It was about women at the gate with the gatekeeper. I think it was something like that. What did you say? Yeah. Do you, do you mind reciting that one again? I want to hear that again. That's just too, too much for me not to hear again. What the whole poem? Well, <laughs> or just that okay. <laughs> I know that was pretty long, <laughs> but, but it leads me to ask this question because I can already tell just from listening to that piece that you champion women. Correct me if I'm wrong. I champion voice. Voice, Okay voice and I would say anyone that doesn't have a voice and uh, in 2016 I was getting concerned about women being censored in publication and at spoken words and that's mm-hmm. when I formed the collective women with fierce words um, it, it was it, it was to support their voice but mm. one thing that I do is I go into communities and I encourage anyone to share their voice, whether that, wherever they are in that beautiful spectrum of sexuality. 
yes. You know, honestly, just listening to that one piece, wow. Mm. Giving voice to the voiceless, why don't you think people potentially, why, why is it so difficult to have a voice or to find your own voice? Please tell I me. Think, I think some people are scared of um, others speaking out. I think that they possibly feel a little threatened. Um, and also some people, um, I was talking about this today actually with a friend, is that especially in the west of Scotland, we have a culture of you don't get above your station. Mm. You just, you toe the line. Um, so to speak out, you know, stand up for something takes courage. Well, I must share that that's been the story for many African-Americans in the history of this country, that you yeah. don't move beyond your station. Mm-hmm. That you're stuck in one place. You don't speak out. You don't share or lift your voice. So I yeah. can resonate with that. I really can. I really can. Please share another poll. Well, what I think I'll do is I'll read the poem that was written for the actual event in 2016. Um, And it's called Thrawn, and it's a Scottish word, and it means being stubborn to really kick out against the norm. Um, And it also used to be used as quite a derogatory phrase for women. Oh, she's really thrown. Um, So this is what what I wrote. Thrown. I am a dangerous woman with words that are fierce, can pierce, punch through barriers. Some with place in my path. They can reduce others to tears, highlight fears that only a woman would know. I am a dangerous woman. I have a voice. And it will sing. It will ring with a truth. And when my words are hoarse and bloodied from the battlefield, my fierce words will lift me, set me back, on my true course. But this voice can soothe, embrace you in words that keep your weeping at bay, support you, hold you, until the day your own fierce words form in your mouth and you stand in this place and are free to have your say. End of poem. Wow. I need a minute. Yeah. Mm. Um, That poem is very special to me because I always wanted to read that in a very political space. And Mm -hmm. in March, I was invited to read it at the Scottish Parliament. Oh, wow. And wow. that, was, that, that was very, very special. Our Scottish Parliament is an amazing supporter of poetry mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, voice and often run events. But that, that was on women's, you know, International mm-hmm. Women's Day. So it was very special. Well, Leslie, 
What did you learn about yourself from that particular experience? What did you learn? I, I have a leadership role. Um, okay. And when I say that, it's to try and bring others, you know, whether it's into poetry or to be feel empowered, um, it's, it's I suppose it's always been part of my career. I was in education for a long time um, at different mm-hmm. levels, and that was always what was at the base of everything was to empower, you know, at whatever age they were. Um, and I realized, you know, I, I did have quite a strong purpose in that, which is why I now sit on several national literary organizations. Um, mm-hmm. and encouraging people to write or to have a voice. You know, I'd like to expand on my statement about um, voice and moving beyond your station, and I shared African Americans, but actually mm-hmm. it's been for really any marginalized group in America and potentially around the world. If you're not part of the, quote, mainstream, you're viewed as being other. Yeah. Yeah. And people don't often want to hear your voice. Yeah. And I quite agree with you. And I work with lots of different groups um, that have, you know, from, you know, migrated here or refugee groups. I've worked with them to allow them to have a voice because quite often, you know, if they don't have the English language, there's a barrier. But Getting them to write in their own language is quite beautiful, and giving them other Mm -hmm. avenues to express themselves is a very beautiful thing, and a very important thing as well. Yes. Leslie, how does a poem begin for you? With an idea, a form, or an image? Often it's an image. I'm a very visual person, and um, it's trying to take that image, find the best words and the best way of putting that down on a page. And sometimes the challenge is is difficult. So I often use um, film as well. I make um, poetry films um, and I can combine the two. But for me, it's the image um, and the words that it generates. Right. Yes, I'm here. I'm here. Uh I'm waiting on every word. (laughs) Uh All right. Well, let me ask this question then. If you think about your past, what was an Mm -hmm. early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? Oh, I can tell you straight away what that was. Um, I went to a school that originally I didn't want to go to. Um, It was an all-girls convent school, and I fought against going there. I didn't want to, because I was going to have to leave all my childhood friends and have to go in an hour in a bus to it. But it became an amazing, empowering experience at this school. And one of the, the, what was the English teacher, um, she didn't teach poetry using poetry out of books because that was kind of stayed. She used Le- Leonard Cohen lyrics. And 
I then realised you could communicate in lots of different ways. And she, she opened that up for me. So she was quite a powerful influence. And I can remember that quite strongly the day that I got these lyrics put in front of me. Mm. And it, it was really inspiring, you know. And well, also, when you think about influences, mm. okay. <laughs> oh, boy. You know, I'm already just, uh, I have goosebumps already, Leslie. <laughs> just listening to your voice. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> which brings up a question, Leslie. Yeah. <laughs> you speak with conviction, yeah, and power, mm-hmm. resonance. What is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? Wow. Um, I look for rhythm, mm-hmm. um, whether that's on the page or when I'm reciting poetry, because I do spoken words. Um, so there's a rhythm. But the thing that probably is true in both is that I also seek honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes on the written page, I can play around a bit with structure, and I mm-hmm. like to break up structure. Um, and I also like to do that with spoken word as well. I like to play around with how some people might expect it to be delivered. Well, what what drew you to, why were you drawn to spoken word? Oh, that, that, I'm going back to that word, drawn. Um, mm-hmm. I've been spoken word events, and I'd be listening to probably some students who were um, quite wealthy, but going mm-hmm. on about how a hard life they had in spoken word. And I thought, oh, no, no, no. I, so I, I decided to kind of take them on <laughs> in a way. Um, <laughs> so, and I thought, no, I, I'm going to share, you know, experience. And because it came from a place of experience, it was linked to quite strong emotions as well and honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So twice I've been a Scottish slam finalist. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I kind of, I, I, and I've won lots of different slams. But I think the thing that I was told was that it was connected with emotion, honesty. Mm-hmm. That was what was coming mm-hmm. through. It was true, you know. Well, you know, it's, I view myself as being a spoken word artist mm. because I believe in terms of poetry that it's important to live it. If you've written yeah. it, live it. But in some circles, spoken word is not always viewed as on the same level as other poetic ways of expression. How do you feel about mm. that when you may hear that? No, I, I would dispute that. Um, I say that anything that connects with people is valuable, and spoken mm-hmm. word can. Um, I would say that sometimes spoken word is taught as a format. Um, mm-hmm. I can hear one rhythm when you hear them on YouTube. You know, you can hear a, a learned rhythm, and it, it's not as authentic as actually hearing somebody um, 
speak it from the heart. Yes, yes. Please share, Paul. Well, I'm going to give you an example of this, um, what I was talking about, because our Poet Laureate for Scotland is a wonderful lady called Kathleen Jamie. And during lockdown, she was tweeting about, she was crying because she was missing people. And Kathleen writes a lot about the environment. And she said that she used walking for really overcoming this emotion. And I thought about my lockdown experience, which was like life on this. Um, And this time I I decided I would venture out to a local shop the very first time. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was very anxious. So this is called Kathleen Jamie Tweets About Weeping. (laughs) Debris from a night's carousing lies in my kitchen. I suspect my son invited the fairies. A few trolls. Chocolate is missing. A fridge empty of breakfast. A daily occurrence which no amount of mindful staring at birds in the garden cures. Kathleen Jamie advocates walking for missing the company of people. I miss the soothing company of blackbird, missile thrush, Chaffinch feeding on windfall apples. They left. Now sit on newly forged nests with brooding mates. How many miles does missing a robin equal? Can I pace the anger of life on repeat? Yesterday, in a local shop, I shouted, Where do you want me to place the milk? To a man protecting his surfaces, begging me to buy more. I recognise another soul who could follow Kathleen's advice. Today, I saw a bullfinch. Difficult to confirm through weeping. I equate 10 miles. End of poem. Wow. You know, Leslie, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours, and what makes them great in your eyes? Um, There was an amazing um, poet laureate for a town in Scotland, and her name is Maggie Gibson. Maggie is fearless, and she was not just an amazing poet, which she is, she was also a great mentor to me, and mm. she taught me to be fearless with poetry, and and that isn't even down to editing, scrapping mm-hmm. you know, amazing stanzas, lines, shifting things about, so she, she's a great poet. Um, another person that recently, goodness, I, I'm just my mind's blown by him is Kai Miller, the Jamaican poet. Um, and also a, a couple of times I've met Lorna Goodison, and both of them, I I, I adore their poetry. Um, I've got lots and lots of influences. <laughs> I think what it all comes down to is I love the honesty of the writing. 
you know, you talked about emotion, the importance of it. Can a person be potentially called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? Yes, and they have in the past. Um, they, they find a formula and they stick to it. Um, and they can, they can churn poetry out, but you, you, you notice it. People notice it. Um, and maybe that is why they turn the page. They don't stop. They don't reread it. They don't think about it. So, yes, mm-hmm. some people do call themselves poets, but um, I think you, you need that honesty in there somewhere. When you think about writing a poem, is writing mm-hmm. a poem letting your guard down or building a wall? Oh, God, it's exposing yourself. Um <laughs> Because, and it's raw, I mean, it's, it's you, it's especially if you are writing about a personal event, a personal emotion. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it, it is about letting your guard down um, and All being right. brave, being brave. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, um, All right. Well, what I'd like you to do. It's to tell me about a poem you were proud of writing, but were afraid to share for the possibility of misinterpretation. Okay. What I'm going to do is I am going to read you quite a short poem, but mm-hmm. it's been written very recently. And I'll tell you why I find it scary to read this, is that, I eventually had to acknowledge that after living in a war zone in Ethiopia, I suffer PTSD. Mm. And um, it took, well, I, I was working at Stirling University and I got to know an amazing woman, Professor Dame Sue Black, who is a forensic anthropologist. And she and her team are sent into war zones. And usually they're used to establish if there's been a war crime. So it's, it's difficult. And when I got to know her, I started to recognize behavior patterns that she was exhibiting. Um, and then I had to admit it myself. Up to this point, I had been writing about Ethiopia, but not really being that honest, I would have to admit. Um, so I'm going to read a really short poem, and it's called, You Should Not Know. Forgive me. My body holds trauma. It chooses to tread wood, not wool. Knows a space beneath, a crawl space, protects. Forgive me if my eyes do not connect. Instead, scan and escape. Know when I sit on the chair behind the door, this will gain time when they arrive. You should not know these things. It is I who hides between gashes and rocks, spine scorched by stone, holding heat at midnight. Wait for who will arrive first. Lion, the men with rifles. Now, that's one I'd like you to share again. 
Please. You should not know. Forgive me. My body holds trauma. It chooses to tread wood, not wool, knows a space beneath, a crawl space, protects. Forgive me if my eyes do not connect. Instead, scan and escape. Know when I sit on the chair behind the door, this will gain time when they arrive. You should not know these things. It is I who hides between gashes and rocks, spines scorched by stone holding heat at midnight. Wait for who will arrive first, lion, the men with rifles. Mm. End of poem. Wow. Leslie, are you having a conversation with anyone when you read or write poetry? Yes. Um, Talk to I'm, me. Yeah, yeah. Well, what um, <laughs> I meet every Tuesday with a group, um, actually three other women, and mm-hmm. we bring work in process and we discuss it. Um, and I think that's a really good process. And if you're mm-hmm. talking about more on an emotional level, I am a trained yes. counsellor. And I, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I'm a trained counsellor and I have been for you know, 30 years. So part of, you'll know this as part of the process is you have to process your own emotions. Um, which is why <laughs> I'm very aware of things, you know, when I'm writing them. Um, but it, taking the next step to be public about it is a biggie, you know. Um, well, let me share this with you. <laughs> you would never know this. But I'm a retired professor of counseling. Yeah. <laughs> so you're my sister from another mother. <laughs> we, we believe in the same thing. <laughs> I knew I liked you. I knew I liked you. <laughs> Counseling is <laughs> so critical. <laughs> I'm an advocate of mental health. Good <laughs> mental health. Yeah. Which is why um, I do so many workshops and see that <laughs> how important it is to express yourself and uh, explore your feelings. Yeah. <laughs> we have oh, oh, a oh. thing. Wonderful. Okay. We're going to take a brief break and we'll be right back. All right. Okay. Trainer, 
poet, spoken word artist, author, Leslie, tell me more about the book Thrawn. Thrawn um, came about because of a need to be, to, to, to show people how to be honest in their writing as well. Um, and also to be brave. I think that was really important. Um, I, I've worked with lots of workshop groups, you know, running workshops, and I think you have to lead by example. So what is in Throne is very personal. Um, and I, I was trying to perhaps give a bit of a spectrum to some of my writing. Um, mm -hmm. So in there, there is some about my family, there's some about me, and there is some about um, Ethiopia as well. Wow. You know, you made the statement, living by example. Do you live your life like it's a poem? I try to. Tell I me more. I do try to. <laughs> And I'll, I, I Tell can me give more. You, I, can give you, I know so many examples, right? Um, when I was lecturing at Stirling University, I became very aware that um, some students were finding it a real challenge to transition from one year to another. Mm -hmm. So um, I decided I was going to change the policy. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, as I, and this is kind of what I've, I've known for, um, but I wasn't going to do it myself. So mm -hmm. I just got all my students involved in the process. And we did write academic papers um, on the need for a good transition policy and introduced things like peer support through the years. So it just you know, wasn't even within one year. Um, and I translate that also into anything that I do in the literary world. When I run events, rather than just have people come along and read their work, I like a process. Run a few workshops before. Let's pull in people. Would you like to work with a well-known writer? Mentoring. Mm -hmm. so that, that's how I operate. Wow. <laughs> Please hear, Paul. <laughs> This is a very special poem. Um, I have a beautiful garden, which really sustained me during you know, the last few years. But I also put um, a call out that if anybody wanted to come and sit in the front garden, I would leave a bench there and they could sit there. But my sister at the same time was having a bit of a hard time and she would come and sit in my garden for maybe five, ten minutes then leave but this day she fell asleep and I wrote a poem about her and she lived in Italy for 20 years so the title is called Mia Sorella Dorme my sister sleeps in my garden shaded by a plum tree the same tree the old man told me he stole from his story 90 years in the remembering 
my sister sleeps, escaping from a story she would not have chosen to write. Hers, 25 years in the forgetting. With each exhaled breath, words escape, words she would trap if awake, malignant vapours that wreak havoc, draining her of the will to live. My sister sleeps, hummed into slumber by bees, beating their wings against a blue haze of lavender, releasing its minty sweetness. As the aroma bathes her, she is pulled further into a fairy land of rest. Surrendering, other thoughts enter her dreams. Dreams of when she is that girl again, running through a wood of lilac trees, laughing as the wind soaks us in blossoms, clusters bursting on her skin like tiny parma violets. This I know as she smiles when that same sweet scent drifts down from my own memorial tree to child. I, sentinel, protecting, wait for her to surface into deep, turbulent water. Her life. Shh. End of poem. If you could tell your younger writing self anything, what would you say? Don't be scared of what other people think. Okay. I think I spent too long not sharing work, anxious that if I read it, I would be criticized. People, other poets would say, no, that's not of worth. I think you have to, it's a process, it's a learning process. Um, and yeah, I, I, I have run workshops with you know, young writers and that's what I say to them. You know, mm-hmm. it's that bravery mm-hmm. again. You know, it's just and it sometimes it it takes a lot even for adults to share their work. Um, in Scotland, we have a really good spoken word scene, and it's very supportive. Mm-hmm. And we encourage mm-hmm. new writers to get up. You know, have a go, even if it's just for a minute, two minutes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more than just um, reading your work, isn't it? It's up mm-hmm. there, and people are staring at you. But also in the print. Um, I encourage people to submit. Um, and I've just come across a writer who says that she's only started writing and she is the most wonderful poet. Um, <laughs> and I was so happy that I invited her along to take part in an event. She's mm. wonderful. Do you think that you were meant to be a poet? I don't know what I was meant to be. I think I was probably meant to be a communicator. Okay. And I've done poetry is one way I communicate, quite a powerful way I communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's, I, I would say the word communicator is what mm-hmm. I think I was placed on this earth to be. 
Well, what surprises you most about being a communicator? Again, it's what people say. You know, we're all, if, 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 if anybody that is prepared to speak out, and I don't mm-hmm. mean in a loud way, anyway, you have to be prepared to um, hear somebody's viewpoint. Um, and that can be challenging. Yes, it's very challenging. It is. And, um, no, please, please, I'm listening. No, no it, it's just, I, I think that is where mentoring and support are really mm-hmm. important. From mm-hmm. the young through to whatever age, you know, that that's when you start to raise your voice, you know, and not mm-hmm. raise your voice, you know, literally, um, but, you know, make it known. You know, speaking of emotions, are you willing to be hurt by the poetry of others? If not, why not? Um, hurt in what respect? In that it affects me? Um, yes, yes, how it affects you. Yeah, that's okay. I think that's you engaging with the poem. Um, mm. And some poems, um, especially in recent, so just before lockdown, I um, got to know and generated a beautiful friendship with an Indian poet, Saima Afrin, who's now in the States, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. she's, doing, she's doing a doctorate in there. And her poetry, um, is, it gets me every time. It's because she's speaking about the effects of partition in India on her family, which were brutal. Um, yes. So, y- yes. So if I'm being affected, that's actually quite strong poetry, you know, and I'm for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I like you so much. <laughs> I don't even know you. <laughs> this is the first time we've ever communicated. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I like you so much. <laughs> you know, please share, Paul. <laughs> okay. Um, this is a poem that I'm very fond of. I Mm -hmm. got an invite to go to Milan in Italy to a beautiful art gallery. I know. It was was the new director of the art gallery was a Canadian. And he invited me. And it's called the Pinacateca di Brera. I like saying that, by the way. Um, Beautiful. (laughs) It is. And it's it's one of the most beautiful art galleries I was in. And I was in one of the areas, and there was some very strange paintings. I, I realized I'd never come across any metaphysical painting before. Um, mm-hmm. But it was about a guy, um, the artist was called Kara. And what I found out was that he had been suffering from um, post-traumatic stress from World War One. And his paintings were all of, and he was trying to assemble himself. He was trying to make sense of himself. And also next to it was this beautiful cabinet of um, 
covered the mouth of the dead in Egyptian times. And there was, this is complicated because I'm standing in a gallery looking at all these things just, and it was like a scan. And there was also um, a beautiful terracotta uh, sculpture of Ophelia, Shakespeare's Ophelia, just as she had drowned. So I came up mm. with this idea of a young couple. She's dead, and this is her husband. Right? So she's speaking to her husband, and it's called Cover My Mouth in Gold. Slip the gold from my finger. Beat it smooth, not with grief, but to the rhythm of your heart, so that it may pulse against my lips. Remind me of when I laid my head against your moist skin afterwards. Scribe the surface with leaves of the yew so that I may walk in the immortal wood. Feel the winds lift my hair, cooling as you did afterwards. Cut the blue ribbon from my gown. Weave it through the gold, my hair. Feel your touch once more, only once more. Then cover my mouth in sweet-tempered gold. Its cool surface tracing the love I once smiled for you. Death will not pass these lips. I will wait until you come once more. Lift my veil of gold and join me for eternity. End of poem. Um, you, Leslie, lift words off the page. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to know is, has your favorite poems arrived or are they still on the way? I think there's still more to come. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is what I'm doing at the moment is I'm carrying out research uh, for another degree. I'm, I'm, it's the start of a PhD. Oh, thank you, great! <laughs> I love it. I, oh, I, I, I know. I, 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 well, what the, genuinely what happened was the first week of lockdown. Um, a lot mm-hmm. of um, academics, including myself, did not get their contracts renewed. Okay. And so for the first time in my life, I found myself unemployed. And I decided okay. I was going to use the time. And that's why I'm now embarking on this other degree. Mm-hmm. But part of the process, um, I, I'm researching sense of belonging. I, mm-hmm. And I've been able to travel to lots of different places and I just gather responses and I'm translating that into poetry initially and also a novel. So it's been, it's been quite uh, an emotional journey for myself. um, I'm getting lots of responses from different places and exploring my sense of belonging to different places Mm -hmm. as well. Um, mm. Poets. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was. Please. I, the reason that, what I was going to say is that um, 
the one thing that has come out of this, and this is why it's influencing my poetry at the moment, is mm-hmm. um, the importance of being part of a a place, but more than you're. It's important to be part of a narrative of place. Mm-hmm. So you are part of the story of that place. Um, mm-hmm. Stories are written about you, are spoken about you, um, mm-hmm. and that's 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 needed to feel that you belong in a place and not excluded. It, that's what I'm discovering. It's really quite important that narrative. Um, yes, it is. So I've mm. had to go back to places where I was brought up and mm-hmm. really think about, and, and so that's all been kind of translated into a lot of poetry at the moment. Um, all right. Yeah. You know, so much is happening in the world. Mm. So much is happening. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the indifferent. What do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? I really discovered this um, probably about 2016. Um, Mm -hmm. I started to support PEN, Scottish PEN, Mm -hmm. um, and Writers at Risk. And then through that, also an organization called Dovetails, which is Artists for Peace. And that's where all artists are um, supporting peace initiatives around the world. And that has been quite powerful for me. I got Mm -hmm. an opportunity to make a film with two very, very talented war photographers but use spoken words as well um, for a huge big festival that happens here in Scotland. It's an international festival. Um, And that, I suppose, again, it's that idea of communicating what is going on, you know, that that became quite important to me. You're from Scotland, as you just said. Mm. How has living in Scotland influenced your writing? I think we have lots of opportunities here for writing and getting supported in your writing. I mentioned that our government is very proactive in this area and we can get funding to run events. Um, They have events actually in the Scottish Parliament. They have poets who open, um, like the opening of Parliament every year. It's a poet Mm -hmm. who will do that. So they have, yeah. Uh, and I saw that, you know, it's your latest president's inauguration, you know, with your young poet, which was wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. but that's, so we're kind of used to that here. So um, if you choose to write, if you want to explore, there are plenty of opportunities. So I'm, I feel kind of privileged to be living mm-hmm. in Scotland at this time. Mm. Please share a poem. Um, I mentioned dovetails, and I was asked to be involved. We have a a nationally important library called the Scottish Poetry Library, and they asked me to write a piece on what was happening in Palestine and Israel 
for an event there. And I used the tweets and articles from the bureau chief of the New York Times, David Halfinger, to write this poem. And it's called, Something Here Doesn't Belong. In Gaza, boys build kites from paper and cane. Child's play until held in another's hand. These phoenix soar, clear the barricade, travel on a western wind. Flaming tales, trail laments, ignite parched farmland. Something here doesn't belong. Israeli tractors crisscross the smog, speed to smother fires. High in the sky, drones. Pilots train these falcons to raise their talons, entangle the tail of the phoenix. It falls down. Down into hellish fires. Something here doesn't belong. Soldiers follow its descent through night vision goggles. Fumes flood their lungs as they tally their success. 700, 800 kites so far. Loaded with tear gas grenades, Israeli jeeps play tag with the fence high above. Snipers. An Orwellian drama unfolds. Something here doesn't belong. Israeli observers watch, film the protest through long lens cameras mounted on vehicles. Drones hover over Terem Shalom like bees around the hive. Follow the passage through the gates of negotiated food and medicine. Out at sea. Six nautical miles, fishermen are warned. No further than three miles. War averted on Saturday. Tension still high Sunday. Within Gaza, within Israel, something here doesn't belong. Wow. End of poem. Wow. How would you classify your ability to write poetry as a creative gift or a creative art? I, I think it's... I, I honestly do believe it, it's a learned skill. Okay. There has to be an intention. Maybe that's the artistic intention. Um, mm-hmm. The skill is, is what you learn. And, you know, by sharing or, you know, work in process, or getting feedback, um, critique. But um, I do believe anybody can write. Mm. But it's having that, uh, maybe an artistic intention, the want to do it. That That is the spark, I suppose. Mm. All right. Let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back.
We are back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Leslie Trainer from Scotland, everybody. All right. <laughs> Leslie, <laughs> you're the co-editor of the book, Daughters, Wives, Resilient Lives, Poets at the Long Table. I want to hear all about it. Um, we have been meeting in a very old abbey. Um, I think it might be 13th century for a number of years. Yeah, just the four of us. We sit at a a long table, a coffee table, um, in the Mm -hmm. tea room. And uh, then we went online during lockdown. And we individually, um, we are well-known writers, which... um, allows us to bring a lot of work in process but at the base of it is we trust each other we trust each other's mm-hmm. judgment and i mean individually they're all beautiful beautiful poets um mm-hmm. and when we were meeting online during lockdown like many writers sometimes we just couldn't write you know what was going on in the world was just too much and yes. his therapy came out of all that talking was we realized that we had some incredibly strong female ancestors in our family and they had given us a template how to survive we all have that strong grandmother sister great grandmother we hear stories about them as well um i Unfortunately, never got to know my grandmothers, but my goodness, I know mm-hmm. stories about them. Um, mm-hmm. So we started writing around that theme. These women that had survived war, famine, you know, poverty. Um, the four of us have got very similar backgrounds. We come from very working class backgrounds, but we have um, gone on to be educated women. Um, mm-hmm. So that is why when we are reading from our anthology at events, there's a resonance with other people in the audience. And I'm not going to say women because men have come up to us as well and said, goodness, yeah, that was that was my grandmother. That was my sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I, I felt like that, you know. So um, mm-hmm. it, it's proving to be quite a powerful anthology. You know, I'd like you to either choose Thrawn or Daughters, Wives, Resilient Lives, Poets mm-hmm. at the Long Table, either one of those. If you had to convince a friend or colleague to purchase the book, what would you mm-hmm. say? Either one of those books, or both. <laughs> they <feel> both, <laughs> both books. I, yeah, well, it would be nice if they bought both. Um, <laughs> I would say to them, um, you are you're going to connect with something in either of the books mm-hmm. because there's honesty in there, there's life in there, um, and I, that that's what I think is really good about a poetry collection. You know, mm. you, you get a connection, and you, you you definitely get the connection. Now is time, good people, for what I view as being one of the my favorite parts of this program. The mini poetry concert. Leslie, please choose three poems that you'd like to share. 
Okay. No interruptions from me. <laughs> All right. Okay. Just the first one. I'm I'm going to read three um, Ethiopian poems, and the first one is based on. You know, when you're living in a very stressful place, uh, mm-hmm. you grab on to little things like you celebrate birthdays and no, it, it's it, and they become kind of major. But for me, it was dancing in a little shack down next to the railway station, and the railway station was called Lagar. And it was a shack. So this is called Dancing at Lagar. Once the sun falls off the roof of the shed. Once the iron horse has been led to bed. A beat starts up. Primal. A call to the faithful. It paces footsteps across the sleeping rails to a place where rifles and colour are left outside, suspended in the darkness, in that other place where war and death stalk. Before the soldiers ride the streets, searching for those who have not heeded the warning, Lagar keeps us safe, locked in her thrall, safe until curfew. Fingers bound together, black on white, my toe cuts a rut through the grit. A taut arc bends my hip to its groove across his body. Not even the jasmine breeze that breaches the open walls can separate. And on we move, synchronicity. River wash shirts tucked into jeans, absorb the heat from her tin roof, paying back that stolen from the day. Our bodies pulse through her captives, sharing their joy at being alive, dancing at Lagar. The second poem is called Compound. Ethiopia has one of the highest twin birth rates in the world. Mm-hmm. And poverty forces people to do horrific things. He assesses his children as carefully as his wife, her chickens, before drought, before famine, poverty. Watches them sort, matches scoured from gutters, morph yesterday's news into paper bags for traders in the mercato. It is a delicate process, this choosing. They arrive in pairs, identical. He should choose the weak argumentative, the one who demands more food. Soon the Ferengi will leave their offices, drive up Churchill Avenue, Friday sprinters eager to reach its summit, the safety of home. Today is hot, humid. They will be tired. Accidents happen. No Ferengi wants to see inside an Ethiopian prison. The court will demand 
payments. Compensation high if the child seriously injured, more if killed. Better that. What use is a broken child? His wife needs the two girls at home, so one of the boys. The two little ones he cannot tell apart. If one dies, the other is him in face and spirit. Adani, he saves. Adunya, wealth. God is speaking to him. Rising, he pulls his Nutella tighter round his body, taps one on the shoulder. Come with me, boy. Um, the last one that I'm going to read is actually from... Thrown. And it's the third one from um, the Ethiopian. An unattending of ravens. Hyenas slip through the edge of the city. Firefly eyes dance in the dark. Feed on offerings left by a man in a white shawl who sees it as a blessing left by soldiers who see it as just. Time edges towards curfew. We sit in a triumph stag, top down, arms tucked in. Inquisitive, they scent our warmth, fresh blood, raise a snout against my hair, pincer jaws, skim an ear, pant, fetid breath, greetings. Lights of the compound catch the white shawl. Familiarity times his steps into the pack. The placing of food, his escape from the sight. Ripping and tearing, ripping and tearing until none exists. Mengistu ordered enemy flesh, ordered to the pack. The taste remembers between yellow teeth. A memory so sweet, it brings them each night to the edge of the city, where my companion turns to me, whispers, hyenas don't laugh in Addis Ababa. End of poem. Wow. Leslie, does knowing that your poems are published and out there in the world, Validate you being a poet, or are you content knowing they're out of your system? Hmm. I I don't know if they're ever out of your system. I think poems live with you. Um, mm-hmm. I don't look for validation, and that is mm-hmm. I, it, it, if people respond to them, I really do appreciate that. It's not the reason why I write poetry. It's, I, I don't look for the validation. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, like, in the three that I've just written, um, I think it's, it's me sharing an experience, a reality of what it was like, um, you know, living in a war zone. Um, so what I'd be saying. <laughs> okay. You know, listening to you, some of your poetry, some of the themes are really heavy. Mm. Just listening to them, they weigh on my heart, just listening. Does poetry, in writing poetry, energize or exhaust you? 
especially as I think about some of the issues that you write about? Mm. I think it's releasing. Okay. And in that way, um, it doesn't weigh heavy on me. It doesn't. Okay. Um, I think for some people listening to it, it may. Mm. Um, yes. I, I, what you are hearing is perhaps the end of a process. So um, I've, I've worked through that. And I can now write about it. Um, the first poem I ever wrote about Ethiopia would have been Dancing at Lagar. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of light. And then the last one that I've written is the most recent one I wrote about, you know, the, the PTSD. Mm. So um, it's a process. You know, I hate to say it. But we're almost at the end of our poetic journey. Oh. I don't want it to end, but we're almost at the end. And what I'd like you to do, if you don't mind, is to favor us with one final poem. Okay. Well, I'm going to read you a poem about my mum. Now, my mum um, has very much country with... Excuse me. <coughs> Beg your pardon, I suddenly got really dry there. Um, She has country ways. Um, Mm -hmm. But one of the things that she does like is she loves a good graveyard, my mother. She really likes visiting graveyards. And our family are all buried in a very old graveyard. And she'll pull me in to go and help tidy it up. So what I'm going to read is one that's... um, of an experience that I had with her. And it's called Merns Kirk, which is the name of the old graveyard. A robin paces my steps, faithful as a collie, watchful as a wifey with a stranger in the house. My mother's conversation sifts through rowan, arrives in a breeze, cooled by sea threat. I glimpse her arranging flowers, some bonny roses for you, mammy. She walks in the path, doesn't hear my footsteps crunching gravel, disturbing the peace, hearing aid removed to hear their voices better. I put down the vase once kept in their display cabinet. Water slithers its escape. Caught in the crystal spider-eyed refraction, I am autumn. I hand her sweet peas gathered that morning in my garden. Their scent drenches the air. She smiles for the bairn, scatters them as a priest's blessing over loose stones raised in defiance against those who left an unmarked grave, her sister's child. I lift a cloth, scrub moss, Time from stone, stand on settled earth, my father's grave. A hollow to gather leaves, keep a fox warm over a space reserved for me. Content, all is clean, each gravestone an altar filled with flowers. She sits on a bench, pours tea from a flask, picks up her conversation. End of poem. Wow. Wow. Leslie, 
where can listeners find your work? Well, goodness, um, if they go to the publisher, and I'm going to use another Scottish word here, so you'll like my pronunciation. The publisher's name is is Dreich, D-R-E-I-C-H. I'm in a lot of their publications, and it's also where Thrawn is published. Um, And I have a YouTube channel with poetry films, and it's under L.A. Trainer. You know, and actually, I Googled you. <laughs> and you, you've got a number of pictures on Google, so you're out there. All right. Yes. <laughs> How I'm can really... listeners stay in touch? <laughs> oh, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. You can, I, can, I can be contacted. Okay. <laughs> What's next for you, Leslie? <laughs> My final question. What's next for you? Well, I am pulling together this um, anthology of writing or poetry that has come out of exploring sense of belonging and identity. So that's Mm -hmm. what I'm working on at the moment. All right. I want to thank you for joining me today. We have so much in common. Our views around poetry, our counseling backgrounds, as I said, you're my sister from another mother. <laughs> so I want to thank you for joining me and gracing us with your wonderful, powerful, timely work. Yeah, right. thank you. Is there anything you'd thank like you. to say, Leslie, before we close? <laughs> right. All I will say is I use this phrase, in times of disruption, the poet step forward. And that's my final word. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I won't ask you to say it again. It was so powerful, I was stunned. All right. <laughs> but Leslie, I want to thank you. <laughs> it's been a wonderful hour. I wish you nothing but continued success. Thank you so much. I've had a lovely time. And thank you for inviting me on, Michael. Yes, you're my new pen pal in Scotland. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I don't know whether people have pen pals anymore. <laughs> you can see everybody on Facebook. But <laughs> I know if I ever visit Scotland, I'm going to give you a call just to say hello. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, right. next time I'm running an event, you just might get a call as well. All right, all right, I like that. All right, everybody. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in. It was a wonderful program. And as I share every week, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. All right, everybody, be safe out there. Bye. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.